Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. He's speaking to the church. We, all y'all and me is what he's saying, okay? We are ambassadors for Christ, just as though God were standing right alongside of us now and pleading his case through us. I beg of you, laying yourself as in a service and, and asking you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. See, Paul is using every way that he can express his desire for the church to come together in a close and a powerful relationship with God. Today, Pastor David does an excellent job showing us Paul's deep yearning for Christians to fully embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ. The grace of God has been bestowed upon all believers, and it's available for all people. That torrent of grace opens the floodgates of God's love and allows all people into a relationship with God. Therefore, it's God's desire to see His people staying close and growing in faith, that they may be an effective witness to this world. Now here's Pastor David with part one of today's message, A Passionate Plea. Well, we are in 2 Corinthians. I invite you to turn there. A study in a modern church in ancient times. A modern church in ancient times. And the reason we call it that is because of the problems that Corinth is having in their church 2,000 years ago, many of those are the same problems that you and I have, that we have as the church today. So you look at them, man, they're, they're pretty modern. They got the same problems we do, and yet they were 2,000 years ago. We're now in 2 Corinthians as we've been going in this study. We went through 1 Corinthians. Now we're in 2 Corinthians, and we're actually, though we finished up chapter 5 last week, I want to begin there and actually tie the end of chapter 5 in with chapter 6 as we move forward. And as I shared with you on on a lot of occasions, the Word of God itself, I wholly and completely believe that the Word of God itself is inerrant. It has no errors in its original form. It was given to us, as Paul tells us, by inspiration of God, It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man or the woman of God might be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. Still, the thing you need to realize, chapter and verse breaks are not inspired. You do realize that, okay? They're not inspired. They were just put there as kind of a a learning assistant for us. So we could all, when I say, 
chapter 5, verse 20, we all go to the same place. We know exactly where. Well, why don't we go to where Paul was writing to the Corinthians and remember that one spot that he said, that no, we can just go all to the same spot together. Sometimes we can see, I, I think, where the translators miss the placement of, of chapters and verses. And for me, this is one of those cases. I see verse 1 of chapter 6 actually falling in together very neatly with verse 20 and 21 of chapter 5. So as, as far as I'm concerned, I think chapter 6 should have started up in chapter 5, verse 20, but that's just me. Look with me if you would. I want to back up a little bit to verse 20 of chapter 5 of Second Corinthians. Paul writing here, he says, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. And we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. In verse 1 of chapter 6, move right along. We then, as workers together with him, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Well, in both chapter 5, verse 20, and chapter 6, verse 1, Paul speaks of pleading or to plead. Then also in verse 20 of chapter 5, he uses the word implore. And both of these verbs, they're action words. They're, they're driven, I believe, by Paul's passionate plea, this intenseness, this, this powerful understanding, again, of the response that he desired and he expected from the Corinthians for the words that he's speaking to them, both before this and following this. The depth of Paul's passion and plea at this point, the importance of the words that are written, the significance of the Corinthians' response, all had consequences. They had consequences both temporary then and there, but they also had eternal consequences. It's just like for you and I. Our response to the message of the gospel, the message of the word of God, has consequences in our life. Sometimes those consequences are absolutely immediate. We see it within our life as our life either gets messed up or blessed. We're either messed or blessed, one of the two, by by the faithfulness. Or we say, man, you know, that that hasn't impacted me, but it's going to impact you eternally. So we see that very thing here, and I believe, again, that's the passion of of Paul's plea for them because he knew the importance of these words. To help us understand that passion, I want to take a moment to see the emphaticness. I don't know if that's really a word or not, but I'm going to use it tonight. The emphaticness of, of Paul's words here, what's he's trying to say. We need to look at the words themselves. We need to look at them uh, as the basis of the plea that Paul is laying before his readers. First, we simply look at what that word to plead or to implore meant during Paul's time. The word plead, I I plead with you, comes from the Greek word parakaleo, parakaleo, coming from two Greek words, para, meaning to, to come near, to come alongside of, in the proximity of, close to, with the idea of being side by side. We see it in such words as paramedic, okay? It's an individual that what? Comes alongside of medical doctors, paralegal. The person that does all the work for the lawyers, correct? Yes, have to say that for Brother Vic. A parable, 
parable is a story thrown alongside the truth to make a point. Parallel. Parallel is two separate lines running alongside of each other. So that idea of para. Uh, The second part of that word parakaleo is the Greek word kaleo, K-A-L-E-O. And it means to call out or to invite, to, to bid, to plea, to request. And we see it used scores of times all throughout the New Testament, literally uh, scores and scores of times. It's the idea when they said that they called his name Jesus. It's a form of that word, kaleo. Jesus called the disciples to himself. Same, again, a form of the word kaleo. Jesus says, my house shall be called the house of prayer. The Pharisee who had invited him, that word invited is kaleo. So you see the difference here depending upon the context. A certain man gave a great supper and invited many, kaleo, again. And then another passage, whom he called, he also justified, Paul writing in Romans. So all of those, the word kaleo. So you put those two together, parakaleo, is to make a request of the most sincere kind, an appeal to the deepest of the inner man. It was an entreaty from one heart to another. He says, I plead with you. I plead with you, not simply ask. No, I, I plead with you, becoming a much more passionate, a deeper desire of what he's saying there. The other word that Paul uses is the word implore. From the Greek word deomei, D-E-O-M-A-I, deomei, very similar to parakleo, but there are some differences. In the Greek word Deomei means to beg, and it's the kind of begging that you really bind yourself with it. It says, you know, I, 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 I beg you, and, and I'm throwing myself at your feet to do this. I'm committing myself. It's the same word that's sometimes translated as petition or to pray, that idea. More than just saying the same thing in a different way on the very surface of it, Deomei uh, seems to have even a deeper request or a call than the parakaleo. I pray. I'm just coming to you with everything that I am. He says, I plead, and then he says, I implore. You've got to see, you've got to understand how deep the passionate plea is that Paul has here as he's speaking to the church. And with those thoughts in mind, look again at verse 20 of chapter 5 and on from there. I want to read it again just so we can hammer it in. Verse 20, he says, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. He's speaking to the church. We, all y'all and me is what he's saying, okay? We are ambassadors for Christ just as though God were standing right alongside of us now and pleading his case through us. I beg of you, laying yourself as in his service and, and asking you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. See, Paul is using every way that he can express his desire for the church to come together in a close and a powerful relationship with God in the most humble of ways, 
and yet the most dogmatic and authoritative ways, a, 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 a brokenness and yet a strength, all of these things coming together. I implore you, be reconciled. Come back to God. Make your relationship with God so strong and so powerful that nothing can separate it. And again, verse 21, for he made, God made Christ who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We then as workers together with him also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Grace of God in vain. I believe that Paul understood that even there in Corinth, there were some in that very place that he had personally ministered to, the place that he had been in communication with for years. Even there, there were some individuals who received the message of grace, but hadn't begun to live it. They had heard the message, perhaps they even understood it, and yet they weren't committed to it. They, they weren't walking in it. He's saying, man, I, I plead with you, don't receive the grace of God in vain. Well, what does it mean in vain? I believe to believe in vain means that they had not fully received the truth that was given to them. Their belief, therefore, as, as one has written, it was empty. It was without content. It was without result. It was useless. It was in vain. Isn't that what James was speaking about when when James wrote in chapter 2 of James, a belief system that doesn't impact our lives is as empty and as useless as no belief system. If I say that I believe and it doesn't impact my life, I might as well not believe. We become, in essence, what is called practical atheists. We profess Christ, but in our life, it makes no difference. That's why James wrote in chapter 2, verse 19, you believe that there's one God? You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. You see, gang, it's, it's more than belief. The belief has to impact your life. It's more than confession because the confession needs to affect you in how you live. To believe and confess without it coming and changing your life is what James is, man, he says, you say you have faith, but you don't have works. Your life hasn't changed at all. You're just mouthing the thing. And that's why Paul writes here, man, I pray that you have not received the grace of God in vain. Paul was so adamant as he continued his, this passionate plea for this reconciliation with God through salvation here in verse 2 of chapter 6. And at least a clarification of the earlier plea, this is a plea Paul makes to the Corinthians. Look what he says here in verse 2, chapter 6. For he says, in an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Oh, wait a minute, Paul, you're talking to the church. You're talking to people who profess Christ. And that's exactly what Paul is saying. You're professing, but you're not living 
And that's why I'm telling you, today is a day of salvation. You, you need to be reconciled to God because it's not apparent in your life. Was Paul then judging? Whoa, who are you to judge me? Yeah, I believe that he probably was. He was looking and saying, man, I, I see your life and there's absolutely no fruit of the things of God in your life. It's a pretty powerful thing. How many were there in Corinth who were close and yet outside the salvation that God offers through Christ? How long had they heard the message of God's grace and they loved it? They loved the message of grace, particularly compared to all the the pagan things that are going, oh, that's just so wretched, that's just so gross. No, I love being in the church. It's great, it's nice people, it's, it's comfortable settings, man. We go and we sit, we hear a nice little teaching. Christianity is just absolutely wonderful. There's no change in their lives because they became converted to Christianity and not Christ. And you see, there's a lot of religious people who are in churches today that have absolutely no relationship to Christ. And I believe that that's exactly what Paul is worrying about here. They loved the message of the gospel, but yet they refused to surrender their lives to it. They refused to walk fully in that fullness of God's plan. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I, I don't believe that they became radical antichrists, you know, that within the church they're there to tear down the church. I, I don't believe so at all. They simply believed the message, but, but weren't appropriating the fullness of that hope, that grace that's offered to them through faith in Jesus Christ to all those that receive him. They're, they're there, they're among them. I don't want to destroy anything. No, I like this. I just don't want it to impact my life. And that's what Paul sees. Paul is telling him, look, you have today, right now, why would you wait any longer? Today is a day of salvation. Get your life right with God. Be reconciled to God. Get saved now. And it never ceases to amaze me, church, how someone can be under the teachings of the Word of God, salvation being explained week after week, and still they don't receive it themselves. It never ceases to amaze me that people can be week after week, they hear the message of hope, and yet they're not really listening. They hear, but they're not listening. And all the wives among us are going, I know exactly what that's like because you ought to my conversation with my husband. <laughs> listening, but not hearing. They can clearly see While under the teaching of the Word, they can clearly see the evidence of the truth of God all around them, and yet they still remain dead in their trespasses and sin. How can that be, Pastor? Because we've allowed a hardness of heart. You just lay layer upon layer upon layer upon layer upon layer. And we can go and we can hear the truth. We can sing the songs, and yet we walk out the door and it doesn't impact us. It doesn't affect us. Paul would tell them, tell us today, just as he did for them, behold, now is the accepted time. Why don't you get your heart right with Christ right now?
Behold, now is the day of salvation. Why don't you just, again, in your own, the humility of your heart, understand, I've been playing a game for years and years and years. Or maybe there truly is salvation there, but you've just allowed this callous to be built over your heart to where, again, man, you're not, on, you're not in love with the Lord. There's not, a, there's not a passion for the things of God within your life. Paul knew that some of his readers had never truly made that full commitment to Christ. He knew that the message had been delivered to him clearly, but he also wanted to be certain that it wasn't his ministry or his own personal style that put any kind of a stumbling block before them in receiving that truth and walking in that truth. Paul had seen, he experienced the hard side of the Christian faith, the hard side of ministry. But he also knew that ministry had great rewards. Look what he says in verse 3 of chapter 6. He says, we give no offense in anything that our ministry might not be blamed. He says, man, I've been over backwards to present the gospel to you in a way that I myself I'm not a stumbling block to you, that I'm not offensive. Now, I'm going to tell you right now that for Paul to say, we give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed. Beloved, that is an, a difficult standard to meet. I say that as a pastor. That is a difficult standard to meet, to give no offense in anything. It, it, it would seem like today that, man, people are looking for offenses. You know, they're looking for opportunities to, to again, uh, you know, make, make a point or make a situation. Don't get me wrong, the cross itself is offensive. The cross is offensive, but I'm talking about how man's methodology, how human plans and personality can be offensive to others. I personally have a hard time wondering why anybody could ever be offended with me. I mean, you know, Oh, I'm such a nice guy. And I'm humble, too. Did I ever show you my humble trophy that I won? You know. Everybody can be offensive at different times because it depends upon what kind of day I've had. It depends upon what kind of day you've had. And it's amazing to me when Paul says, hey, you know what? Our, our ministry, we worked hard, man. We're, we're not an offense. It's not the ministry that's the offense. To be an effective ministry, there's times when you need to say the hard things. And people are offended by the hard things. Amen? Yeah, I can't tell you how many times we go out of here and people say, man, Pastor, you stepped all over my toes. I said, that's because mine were tired of being stepped on. Sometimes there's issues within a body that need to be dealt with. And I know that there are ways to say the hard things that are not as offensive in presentation to others, but many times people are going to get offended anyway. This doesn't excuse rudeness in ministry. It doesn't excuse a hard-hearted display of attitude. But the fact is, I'm here to tell you, it's hard to be in ministry very long without offending people. And that's why my prayer is, Father, I pray that you would give all of us an understanding heart and also a strong and a bold heart to be able to preach the fullness of God's Word, but yet at the same time to speak the truth in love. Open our hearts, change us from within. 
2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That means you're made completely new in Jesus. He has washed away every sin that has blemished your past and has given you the opportunity to start fresh and live a different life. If you want to know more about Jesus and the life of forgiveness and love He has waiting for you, please give us a call at 520-836-9676. That number again is 520-836-9676. You can also send us an email by visiting our website at theopenword.com. As a next step, we encourage you to find a solid Bible-based church to help you grow in your walk with God. With a special invitation regarding that, here's Pastor David. Yes, thanks, Chris. Even as believers, most of us need a fresh start at times. I hope that today's message has encouraged you in your faith and given you a hunger to learn more about God. If you're in the Casa Grande area and are looking for a church to attend, I'd be honored to have you join us here at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. You can find directions and service times by visiting theopenword.com and following the links at the bottom of the page to our church homepage. We'd love to have you get connected in. Being a part of our time of worshiping our Creator and studying the words of the Bible verse by verse as we all strive to grow closer to Him each week. Thanks, Pastor David. We're so glad you joined us today here on The Open Word. Pastor David will return to share more from the book of 2 Corinthians right here on The Open Word. Make us more.